your Euro 2020 and Copa America finals preview here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Get started today and you'll get risk-free bets of $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. Also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com and the promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with the promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in Best Ball Mania 2 for a chance to win $1 million. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app in the App Store or the Google Play Store today. You are listening to your Euro 2020 and 
Copper America 2020 finals preview here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network on Twitter at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. Also check out my website, lockbetting.com. We've landed nearly six units in futures. If we land more than that, that will be dependent upon England lifting the trophy and Brazil lifting the trophy in both the Euro 2020 and Copa America finals. We've also made a solid start to the NBA playoffs, going 3-1 and one with our top play so far. We've been heavy on the Suns to cover the first two spreads, and they have done to get all of the rest of my plays for the rest of the month, including this weekend's UFC card. Head over to LockBen.com as we go for our 98th month in a row of Transparent Track Profit. That's right, for over eight years, I haven't had a losing month, despite morons on gambling Twitter thinking that this is not possible. I One particular account targets me very often, telling me, oh, you must be the best gambler in the world. It's a dead president's picks. That's what he's called. It's an account that basically touts all of these other um, gambling Twitter accounts and says, follow my guy, follow my guy, follow my guy, follow my guy. His guys are all serial losers. The soccer accounts are an absolute joke. They are losing around 30, 40 units a week. I'm talking about top tier picks. I'm talking about Fredo. I'm talking about Dean of the EU. I have bought all of their packages secretly, have tracked all of them, and every single one of these guys are absolute losers. They do not have a clue about soccer. They are blindly tailing overs. This guy vouches for all of them. He is also a losing capper as well. Most people on gambling Twitter are. If you don't have a PL, if you don't have transparency, if you are taking money through cash apps and PayPal's, you are not a real capper. You are a fraud. You are also a fraud if you are going on there and you are giving out five to ten unit plays to your clients, expecting them to spend that much of their bankroll on your picks, but you are on there asking people, begging people if they have any free streams for UFC cards or boxing matches. That is what makes you a fraud. It is a standout trait. It is black and white. It is clear to see. Do not tell these people. Do not give them any money. If you want to make some real money, follow me and my record here. I don't charge $5 a month. I don't charge $10 a month. I don't charge even $40 a month. I charge what is representative of the amount of money that I've made people over the course of 98 months. If you don't want to pay it, you don't want to pay it. Continue to make your own picks and good luck with that. Continue to tail these losers on Twitter and good luck with that. But if you want to make some serious money with me, who has 97 months in a row of transparent track profit, and I'm well on my way to the 98th month, then head over to lockbetting.com. That is the sales pitch. Let's move on with the show. And I've got to warn you off the top of the show, I am not going to remain unbiased here on this show. I'm desperate for England to win Euro 2020. I even have some guests coming in on the show at the request of the SGP, wanted me to bring on some England fans that I knew to talk about um, Sunday's final here with Italy, England versus Italy at Wembley Stadium. On Sunday, unfortunately, tout tickets for this game range at around about £20,000 per ticket. I actually inquired with a tout that I usually get cup final tickets from and actually made an offer, which is above and beyond what I paid for any Manchester United cup final and said, hey, 
I'm willing to pay £3,000 here for a pair of tickets for this game for me and my son. If you can sort me anything out, get back to me. Um, obviously, um, if it had come in and said, oh, you know, three and a half, four grand is, is what they're going for, I, I would have probably found that extra bit of money. He laughed at me. He literally laughed at me and said, are you joking? Because these tickets are going for £20,000 each. So my offer of three grand for a pair was 37 grand short of what I needed to have in order to get one of these tout tickets for this final. That's how desperate people are to go, considering it's been 55 years since England have been to a major final. But we will not be covering that first. We'll be covering that second because there is a game happening before that on Saturday night as Brazil and Argentina have made their way to the Copa America final. Yes, here we go. We have got our dream final that we wanted, despite there being no fans, no atmosphere and a Copa America tournament that nobody wanted off the bat. We have got here with Brazil and Argentina winning the groups and navigating their way here to a Copa America final in in Brazil, where Lionel Messi looks to win his first trophy as an Argentina player, but he needs to do it on Brazilian soil. He has been phenomenal throughout this tournament, undoubtedly. There's a lot of debate about who's the best player at Euro 2020. A lot of people saying Raheem Sterling, which is just ridiculous to me. And I'll be talking about that with my guests when they come on later. But Lionel Messi has been the clear front runner here with assists and goals, carrying his team on his back. A Messi, uh, a Maradona, sorry, esque performance from 1986, where his assists and goals carried Argentina to a World Cup. But that is a World Cup. This is a Copa America. This tournament happens too often. This is happening without fans. This is happening without all of the countries from Europe there. So even if he gets this done, I think it will be great for Messi. I think it will be great for Argentina. I think it will be great for his legacy. It's not comparable to the 1986 World Cup. If he wants to be in that conversation for me with Diego Maradona... I think he needs to win the World Cup next year. And I don't think that's going to happen with this Argentina team. But this Argentina team has improved massively. At the back, they now have a goalkeeper that they can rely on when you're looking at Martinez of Aston Villa. This goalkeeper has improved tenfold over the last two, three years since being the number one at Arsenal. Unbelievably, they didn't sign him and, and keep him on. They allowed him to go to Aston Villa, but he continues to be solid for Aston Villa. He was one of their best players this season and he has brought that over to the Copa America where he won this game for them by the penalty shootout by talking to the Colombian players. I urge you guys to seek out a YouTube video of this where Martinez was talking to the Colombian players and um, trash-talking them as they were stepping up to take their penalty, tick, penalty kicks, completely psyched them out. It takes a lot of balls to do this. It takes a lot of intelligence to do this. This is something which um, 
is the mindset, which I think is the mindset of a winner where you don't care how this is going to come across. You don't care whatever it takes. You don't care about how this is going to be perceived. You want to win that game. And that's what he even said afterwards. I want to win this for, for Messi. Messi is the greatest of all time. I would die for Lionel Messi. This kind of attitude makes you scared going into this as a Brazilian backer for this tournament. And I have to admit, um, if I was betting on this now and I didn't have this future riding, I would be siding here with Argentina as the 6-4 to four underdogs here to lift this trophy. Brazil are available at 8-15. to 15. Obviously, with us taking a 5-4 to four price on that at the start of the tournament, we are in a very good position to hedge if I feel strongly about Argentina's chances to lift this trophy. The 90-minute line sees Brazil here at 11-10. to 10. It's 21-10 to 10 to draw, and it's 14-5 to five here on Argentina. Um, I think for me, Brazil, it has to be Brazil in 90 minutes or... I, I start to strongly fancy Argentina. I just feel that they feel like a team of destiny here. And I think they also will be a team that will be reliant on Messi once again. So I can see them setting up in this game um, with, with a lot of men behind the ball and not allowing Brazil to break them down and looking to create those opportunities for Martinez or for Messi to hit Brazil on the counter-attack and try and win this game. The thing is, is that Brazil... They don't keep clean sheets for no reason. I don't think Tete is going to allow his team to be counterattacked here in this game. So those opportunities are going to be few and far far between. And with the final that we have here, despite the fact that so many people wanted it, I wanted it, everybody else wanted it, it is the marquee game here that's going to draw the most people in to watch this game. I do feel it has a sense of two teams that may cancel each other out with Argentina being cagey and, and knowing what Brazil are capable of and relying on their front players to win this game for them, namely Lionel Messi, which has been the Argentinian ethos for a while. And um, sometimes he hasn't had the supporting cast to get that done. What's been fortunate for him here is that the back line have been solid and he has had the supporting cast around him to get that done. They have made contributions, whereas Messi's contribution is far bigger than the rest. The others have accompanied Messi here to carry this team over the line. They've been able to get on the end of those assists, turning those assists, because assists aren't assists unless they turn into goals. They're just chances created that are wasted. They're just expected goals, a very popular metric in, in the US, but doesn't really carry too much weight with me. But that's what they end up being. But they have put the ball in the back of the net. So the sporting cast have been better. But I don't think Brazil are going to give up those chances. This team showed against Chile what they can do when they were 1-0 up and down to 10 men. They basically parked the bus and made it very, very difficult for Chile to play. This is not synonymous with Brazilian football. This is probably not popular with Brazilian fans. But this manager doesn't give a shit. He has an unbelievable clean clean sheet record. And he's able to grind out those results. So for me, one of my favourite plays for this game is under two and a half goals. Because I just don't see three goals here in what's likely to be a cagey game. But despite that fact, I can see both teams scoring. Um, and if I like the under and I see both teams scoring, that means I'm heavily aligned here with a one-all scoreline. So I like that scoreline here at six to one. One. Brazilian are unbeaten. The Brazilians are unbeaten on home turf for seven years and have not lost a uh, not lost a home Copa America tie since 1975. Argentina extended their unbeaten run to 19 games through the semi-finals, although a lot of those games have been draws. And Brazil have won. 
in the last six direct elimination matches and Argentina have not beaten their rivals in a competition match since 2005. So for Argentina to win this, a lot is going to have to change. Um, I, I think that both teams will be able to eke out an opportunity, but ultimately I do think this one will go to penalty shootouts, but I'm more strongly aligned with the under here. I don't think that we'll see three goals. I don't think they're going to, either team are going to give the other the opportunity to score twice here in this game. As soon as the first goal scored in this game, I would see the other team going very, very defensively minded, limiting even their counters and pushing seven or eight men behind the ball, not allowing the top players here in either team for them to break down. But I think if Argentina score first, I think Brazil are more likely to penetrate and break through. But if Brazil score first in this game, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Argentina, who have relied on a counter-attacking style here with Messi leading that charge to uh, to break team Obviously, that hasn't been consistent throughout the tournament. There have been some very lopsided games where teams have allowed Argentina to have the ball. And Argentina have managed to break those teams down. They haven't really had too many issues in terms of being a ball-dominant team that haven't been able to convert that into goals. So I think this is a very, very interesting game, um, even though I don't think it's going to be the entertainment spectacle that, to, uh, that, that everybody's expecting. But Argentina coming to this in good form. They, despite the fact they did win a penalty shootout in the last round, that hasn't been consistent throughout the whole tournament. They haven't been scrapping through with one nils or, or, or getting loads of draws in the group phase or, or just looking very untidy and generally lucky, whereas Brazil have sailed through with two nils and three nils and four nils. That's usually the look of this competition. And when we get to this final, if you said to me we're going to get to this final, I would say Argentina would have rode their luck, whereas Brazil have looked consistently good. No, that hasn't been the case. In fact, I would go as far out to say that Argentina have looked better getting here and have faced stronger opponents. So, this is, for me, is much more of a coin flip than the odds suggest. And um, Argentina, for me, had more of the feel of destiny. But I'm already riding a Brazil future. So there's nothing I can really do with that now other than take a semi-hedge here on this game. But my favourite play, as I said at the top of this uh, preview, would be to take the under two and a half goals in this one. Because I just don't see a scenario where three goals are scored in this game. The books obviously agree with me here because the under two and a half goals in this game is currently priced up at eight to 13. If you shop around, you can probably get out four to six minus 150, but you have to be fast because I'm only seeing a couple of books that are still leaving that line there available for you to take. So that is your Copper America final preview done there. Let's now move on to the final of Euro 2020. So here we are, it's the Euro 2020 final, Italy versus England at Wembley Stadium, uh, cashing another futures play on England to reach the final here. That was given out for free, actually, over on the sports gambling podcast show that I was doing with Ryan and Sean that cashed at 10 to 3, so over 3 to 1. And uh, my clients are also riding a long-term future on England to win the entire tournament given out after the Germany game because I saw a clear route to the final after that game. I told everybody, I said, the winner of England-Germany 
will make it through to the final. Do not bother putting a bet on either one of these teams to qualify because the route will be clear, especially if it's England with this um, potential quarterfinal they have against Ukraine or Sweden and this semi-final at Wembley. Wembley ended up being the deciding factor. Whether you think the Sterling penalty was a penalty or not, um, I'm not 100% sure that would have been given without the Wembley crowd calling for it. But I do also think it things evened out with uh, Harry Kane not being given a clear penalty in normal time. Plus, England were dominant in that game. Plus, England have had years and years of horrendous luck and things go against us in major tournaments. So, it certainly evened out. I know a lot of people don't like us. I know a lot of people are, are using that decision as a reason. But I think with, um, with with the politics and things going into the tournament as well, with the things with the knee and um, the, the players speaking out, some countries across Europe, they don't like that. They don't want to see a mix of um, sports and politics. I actually agree with that. And if I was a neutral, I probably wouldn't be supporting England. But I'm not a neutral. I'm a person who started going to watch England games as early as 1989. I was a person who suffered through the 1990 World Cup. I've suffered through numerous tournaments, through Lineker, Gascoigne and Barnes and Stuart Pearce to Alan Shearer and, and Gazza again and McManaman and Ince from, from 96 to, to the generation of Beckham and Owen when we thought that Michael Owen was going to carry us to success in major tournaments and be the, the greatest English player of all didn't quite work out because of injuries. We then had the uh, Skulls, Beckham, Gerrard, Lampard, Alan Shearer, all of these players coming through. Wayne Rooney, Rio and Terry, the best centre-back combination in the world or the best perceived centre-back combination in the world. They didn't get it done. This team have let me down year in, year out. I've suffered, I've cried, I've broken shit in my house and um, we are now here in a final 55 years later. But the suffering isn't over because this could all turn into more suffering come Sunday night if Italy are the team lifting the trophy. The bookies have them as the even money fav- uh, even money underdogs, sorry, to do that. But very slight underdogs with England at 4-5 to five here to win this tie overall. On the money line, England are available at 13 to 8 with a draw at 2 to 1 and Italy also at 2 to 1. Look at some other prices here before I start bringing my guests onto the show. Italy to win in extra time is 11 to 1. England extra time, 10 to 1. Either team in extra time is 5 to 1. Italy on pens, 10 to 1. England on pens, 10 to 1. And either team on pens, 5 to 1. Uh, Italy on pens, 10 to 1. England on pens, 10 to 1. I really don't agree with that because I do feel if the game goes to penalties, there's only going to be one winner and it isn't going to be England. We already saw the nerves of Harry Kane with that penalty kick. Uh, it was in the little piece that I added at the top of the show. The penalty, the, the commentator even said that was the worst penalty that Kane took. And it shows that the nerves will get to you because that, that's a Premier League game on a Saturday and it's just for three points. Tottenham versus Leicester. Harry Kane smashes that penalty past Casimir Schmeichel 10 times out of 10. And uh, in this game, he took a very, very weak penalty. That does not bode well for penalty shootouts if Harry Kane's nerves cannot withstand the, the amount, the, um, the size of the uh, task ahead. Uh, sorry, I'm um, stumbling over my words here as I'm talking about England here because because it's an emotional thing, because we want to win this tournament, because we're all together in this tournament. To explain the difference is, is hard, but um, this is very different to your club teams. This is very different to your uh, Manchester United's, Arsenal's, Liverpool's, etc. This is very different to your NFL teams. There isn't that unity there with with with, with that sort of, with that team coming through. Every year you see the Super Bowl winner de- uh, described as the world champions. But what other countries are playing? You're not the world champions of a sport that is only primarily played 
in America. Now, I understand there are European leagues and, and, and things of that nature. But look, it's not the same. If you put all of the NFL players, the best NFL players into a team and played other uh, football teams from across the world, you would crush them. You would be covering 75 point spreads. It would be pointless. It wouldn't be anything for the nation to celebrate if you ended up truly being the champ, the world champions of American football. It wouldn't be something to celebrate at all. Same goes for the NBA. If you put those American players together, we've seen them destroy other teams in the Olympics. We all remember the dream team. That's not something to celebrate. I don't think you celebrate individuals like golfers winning PGAs or, 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 um, or, or uh, tennis players winning Grand Slams if they are Americans. I don't think America unanimously celebrate the successes of Andy Roddick. It's not the same thing. This, this is something that I don't think Americans will ever experience. And even if America had an unbelievable soccer team, I don't think suddenly it would rise to be the number one sport in the country. I don't even think it could even reach number two. I don't know where it ranks now. I think it's probably narrowly in the top five, if not outside of the top five. That's not the same. The euphoric feeling of the, the US national team winning this soccer tournament, wouldn't winning a World Cup, wouldn't be the same as these other countries where football is unanimously the number one sport in the world for all of these nations playing in it across Europe. And you can add Brazil and Argentina to that conversation. It is the number one sport in the world worldwide. It is not comparable to the NFL or the Super Bowl because the Champions League final, this European final and the World Cup absolutely trounce the NFL numbers for the Super Bowl every single year. And that includes every other sporting event as well. Wimbledon finals, uh, WWE WrestleMania, you can add any event to it. Nothing is comparable to the World Cup, uh, followed by the Champions League final, followed by this European Cup final that's taken place this weekend. This is, without a doubt, the number one sport in the world. And it brings people together. So the celebration of the Packers and Manchester United winning. Yeah, that's that's incredible for me. But it's only shared by a few pockets of Packers fans or the Manchester United fans that I've known since I was growing up or that I go to games with or that I talk to on social media. It isn't your next door neighbour. It isn't your, your brother. My brother doesn't support Manchester United. My dad does, but my brother doesn't. Um, this is shared with your son, um, your uncles, your, your, your next door neighbours, the man that runs the corner shop, every single person. This is unanimous. This is the only thing that brings 60 million people together and everybody is cheering for the same outcome. Uh, that's debatable, I think, with this tournament, with uh, things being so politicised. And obviously, we have a lot of people living here that aren't English. But more or less, 99% of the country are behind England here on, on Sunday. And that just doesn't happen with club football. And going to a bar, knowing that you're watching something which the entire country is invested in. Now, obviously, you can go to a bar. You can go to a bar in Philadelphia and Philadelphia Eagles could be in a Super Bowl and it will be a euphoric atmosphere. There will be that that desperation. But you know that it doesn't carry over to the entire country. The people in New York and California are, are not supporting the, the Philadelphia Eagles. So it's not the entire, entire country who are, who are, whose hopes are pinned on this one particular result. And it's just different. It's, it's just a different euphoria. It's just a different type of desperation. It's just a different type of disappointment. It's a disappointment that I've experienced over and over and and over again because you want to share this moment because your friends they don't 
support the same teams as you. They don't support the same players as you. Your family don't even. Like, the next-door neighbours don't. This is a mutual investment from the entire country. It's so difficult to put into words what I'm trying to explain here. You have to be here, and you have to feel what it means when England are playing in the major tournaments. And also, you have to feel that the hype that we put on our teams, and we've done it over and over again. This team are going to get there. The Beckham and Owen team are going to get there. The Gerrard and Lamp our team are going to get there. Wayne Rooney is going to win this World Cup for us or get us further here in this tournament. We are going to make it to the finals and then we don't. And suddenly we don't. We've been talking about it's coming home since 1996 and it's never come home until this point and it still hasn't until we win this game on Sunday. So that's just a small, small little slice of of what it actually means. And as I said, I've I've lived through it. Um, I'm more passionate about it. I obviously work in football. I obviously go to football games. Um, I obviously know a lot about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here on this show. And that's come through suffering through it. I mean, it's very, very weird, but you fall in love with it through the suffering. It was how I felt. And the disappointment I felt as a, as a seven-year-old when England didn't win the 1990 World Cup that made me desperate to jump on the bandwagon of the team to, to try and search and feel that alternative feeling of the winning. So I became a, a Manchester United supporter at this point and I could feel that winning. And I felt that winning all the way up to 2013. And now I'm going through a miserable period with, with, with Manchester United as a Manchester United supporter. I'm going through a miserable period as a Green Bay Packers supporter. But um, but my country, who's let me down ever since 1990, have now reached the finals. So yes, it does it does mean a lot, and it remains it, it's very very difficult to come on and do this show without being completely biased and, and rooting for England. And I know a lot of people want us to lose, and I know a lot of people will be wanting Italy to 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 win in what is pre- perceived as being unfair as um, a lot of people are saying that England um, were handed this and England were going to get to this final regardless and this was always fixed for England with so many games being being played at Wembley and uh, listen I completely and utterly understand that as a neutral and if I was certainly a Denmark fan looking at this then I would be taking the same stance. I'm going to play you a little clip that I pulled up um, from Guillaume Balaguet who sort of analysed this situation and his hatred towards England England and uh, he's he's basically taken the stance that I've taken throughout the tournament in terms of uh, we should well he he doesn't agree that you shouldn't mix politics and sport he actually does think that politics has a place in sport I disagree with him but he's speaking on behalf of the of the Spanish people who hate England and tries to give a reason behind why the Spanish people are are so anti-England here and against England reaching this final so have a listen to this can I say and be prepared for this I'm surprised by the amount of ill feeling towards England getting into the final that I sense from Spain. I was in one of the biggest radio shows last night and uh, they left me at the end. So everybody had to say, and it's a very, uh, there was like six or, seven, six or seven people talking about it, all criticizing England for different reasons. The penalty wasn't a penalty. It was a dive and so much talk about foreigners diving. But look, when they do, the style is boring. There was a lot of talk about the style. That, uh, you know, England were lucky. Uh, how about the foreign influences? If it, if it wasn't for them, what? Uh, this Euros is designed for England to win. And when, when I came in, I, I became the biggest defender of, of England for many reasons, but because I felt that you now created a formula that has to do with tournament football. You play in a way that will help you win. 
style is not important in England, not that important right now. Um, and there was no talk about, unlike in Germany, no talk about history. Uh, you know, the fact that 55 years trying to look for a final, none of that. So I, I really need to think about why there is such an um, ill feeling about it. Uh, non, it hasn't really sunk in the fact that this squad is full of good people with social conscience uh, who, are, who are changing the perception of England, at least in England, about yourselves. And I wonder, deep down, is because most people in Spain feel that football players don't have any right to have any opinion. Right where you were 10 years ago, no opinion. You shouldn't be talking politics. That's not important. In fact, that's not your role. So there is all that mix uh, of, of negativity, which I'm really surprised about. But I guess we can also think that that comes from somewhere, not just from the perception of Spain, but the perception that England have been given in recent years. I'll have to think more about that. So that's clip number one. I'm going to play a second clip here for you now, mainly talking about the Sterling penalty incident. So a couple of other headlines in Denmark. Football's diving home and Denmark was cheated. Now, they weren't cheated, were they? It's not a dive, is it? Surely nobody's going to say that was a dive from Raheem Sterling. You can't dive, he's English. English. English players never dive. No, no, they no, never no, dive. No, no. We know, We know that too well. We've all lived fair in this play, country for long fair enough. Fair play is very it's high in England. Only only at foreigners would dive. <laughs> That's not a dive. I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's, it's a, a penalty. Dive, but Sterling I think it's a helped the referee. Sterling helped the referee, and he I was surprised about one thing that Sterling said, and I don't think it was a penalty. But Sterling talked about contact on his ankle, and I was convinced. And in fact, if you look at the pictures that VAR, the referee, was seeing, the the pictures stop when there is contact with Jensen, the second defender that is with him. Uh, and they they hit their hips, each other's hips, and unbalances him. But he's talking about the ankle, and I don't see any contact with the ankle. You can actually it's on argue the knee. that. Uh, the first one is on the knee. His knees were really low. That was it, basically. It was already. <laughs> you feel that the, the movement from I'm already <laughs> going down, down, and then you get contact, and then you go to the floor. It's it's very smartly played. I if think. you're going to have your knees low, you will give away a penalty. That that's the rules, Christoph. Yeah. Nice. What about the That's what we know. Yeah, so there you go. Politics, diving. It's not it's not great for England to be this massively unpopular amongst other teams around Europe. Um and as I said, there's obviously going to be that that kind of accusation thrown at you where you had the advantage of playing at home the entire time. The competition was designed for England to win. Uh, one of the things that's worth noting is that England were always going to get the semi-finals and the final. Wembley was decided to be the place way, way, way before England actually got there. And uh, one of the other changes that was made, the last 16 game that England played against Germany was not supposed to be at Wembley Stadium. But once Dublin pulled out of this competition, it was decided that that Dublin last 16 game would go to Wembley Stadium. Now, perhaps that was a little unfair because if England won their group, they would get a last 16 game at home. This was not consistent with any of the other teams, be it a Holland, a Spain, a Italy. All of these teams who had three group matches had to travel immediately and travel for the quarterfinals as well and, um, and, and never got to return back home. Whereas England, they played their last 16 game at home. They traveled for the quarterfinals and then they're in at home again for the semifinal and the final. But we knew all of this before a ball was kicked. There's no point complaining about it now. And just because 
one controversial penalty incident brings it all to a head. That doesn't really make too much sense to me. Like England have got one controversial decision throughout this tournament and that was it. And it came at the, the semi-final stage. But Denmark looks so tired. I think England may have scored an extra time anyway. Plus, Harry Kane should have had a penalty in normal time anyway. So I don't think this is fair. I think people are are looking for things, especially now all of their teams are eliminated with the exception of Italy. And look, Italy aren't no white knights here. Their behaviour throughout the tournament has been fucking disgusting. And that's been consistent with disgusting behaviour from Italy through major tournaments throughout their entire existence. That incident with Immobile sitting down on the floor, trying to feign an injury for a penalty, and then Italy scoring and him getting up immediately to celebrate is disgusting. And what's even more disgusting about it is the defence of it by Leonardo Bonucci saying that you can be injured, but nobody knows the feeling of scoring a goal and the adrenaline that it will give you. So suddenly, Italy scored, and this motherfucker was blessed with the power of antibiotics and healing, and all of a sudden got his ass up off the ground through the pure adrenaline of a goal. So what we should have done with COVID is that all of the COVID sufferers, we should have all thrown them down onto football grounds and then we should have kicked balls in the net around them. And suddenly we would have cured it. Their lungs would have healed immediately through the adrenaline of balls being kicked into goals while they were surrounding because nothing cures illness like a goal being scored, according to Dr. Leonardo Bonucci. Go fuck yourself. Like you are a a scumbag. Your team are scumbags. You've been scumbags throughout your entire existence. You've, You've cheated continuously tournament after tournament after tournament yet people are saying that we should support Italy yet people are saying England have had the unfair path yet England are cheaters and things have been designed for England look that that's bullshit and it's rich especially when the team sitting on the other end is in Italy or if it was for example in Argentina two teams that can't say shit about anything when it comes down to to cheating and things being unfair with the way that they've conducted themselves consistently throughout the years and even Italy throughout Throughout this tournament, that last 30 minutes against Belgium was was absolutely disgusting the way that they milked the clock down with their injuries and that incident with Immobile and, and, and everything to do with Italy throughout that entire game. So ask a Belgium fan uh, if he wants Italy to win this tournament on, on, on Sunday. So we'll move on from that here. We'll, we'll talk more about odds and give out some picks here at the end. But we're going to move over and talk to some England fans that I want to bring on to discuss Sunday's final here right now. And lots of England possession. Sterling's got it through to Kane now, and Harry Kane has found the net. Well, that didn't take long. One brings two for Harry Kane. Raheem Sterling doing exactly what he does best. It looks like that goal against Germany has brought our main man to life. Short in. There's McGuire. That's one step nearer. It is a goal early in the second half. From the head of Harry Maguire. Just what England wanted. Sterling. Shaw. Kane! Ukraine blown away. England their way to the semi-finals of the European Championship. 
But it's just a brilliant team goal. And it's a textbook header. It really is. Puts them in real control in this tie. Oh, that's Kane again! Denied a hat-trick by the gloves of Bushchan. That looked as though it was goal-bound. Henderson Mount with the corner. There's another one. Jordan Henderson has his first goal for England. And England have their fourth of the night. Yes, he missed the penalty in the warm-up games. But that must have felt absolutely amazing. At this point, I'm going to bring in one of my my closest friends. I actually, I actually went, when I when I talk about you as as like being a close friend, I don't think of you as like someone I've known for ages. But I've now known you for 14 years. I don't know if you are aware of that. So um, I'm going to bring on Trash Meister here. Um, Trash, can you explain that name and tell people what you do? Because I I have a cool job. I get to talk about football, and I wouldn't trade places with anybody. But you have the greatest job out of everybody that I'm mates with. So I'm going to let you talk about it and make everybody unbelievably jealous. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm very, very flattered that you say I'm, I'm, I'm a close friend, you know. And uh, I know we don't see each other that often, but when we do, it's fucking electric, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, Trashmeister is actually my directing porn name. Um, so I'm currently a director for Harmony Films. Um, some of you might have seen a few of their titles in the, the stores down uh, Charing Cross Road, etc. And Private and a few others. And uh, yeah, I've, oh, oh God, I've been doing this since 2001 now. So that makes me very old. But um, kind of keeps me young at the same time. For, for my American listeners, this is the number one porn producer in the UK. So just to, just to, just to simplify that down, uh, in case they weren't aware of the production companies, I I know because I have stacks of porn under my bed and in my ottoman. So so I know what he's talking about. But that that that's who he is. So yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very condensed industry now because obviously um, lots of people watching stuff for free on the tube site not so many people buy it anymore so it's not this huge industry it used to be it's very condensed and there's um very few production companies going now so i feel i feel sort of um honored that i'm still working in it and still yeah smashing it out and i I actually think i'm unemployable in the conventional workplace these days so thank god for porn (laughs) tell us about your day-to-day because you whacked out some pictures today and that is your that is your day-to-day with the that i mean that was a that was a good list of uh, people that you put out that you're working with less- yesterday, I believe. Yeah, but it, it's been very hard with the pandemic. Obviously, you know, um, porn and COVID don't go together. <laughs> so you've got the uh, you've got a little bit of. Uh, oh, they, know, I uh, do think they go together. I don't think I've ever watched more porn <laughs> than being in in a yeah, lockdown. We had, we had to. We had to. Have, everyone who works in porn has to have an STI certificate right so um so you have you know you've got your chlamydias your gonorrhea your syphilis your hiv obviously no one can work without a certificate but at the end of it now we've got covid on there now so <laughs> it's, it's uh it's made a, a massive impact on um on our industry we were unable to work for so long and even traveling has been a pain in the ass so we just um, finished shooting in spain uh, first time i've been abroad since last september and, um, yeah, uh, I mean, Brexit, for one thing, has made it very difficult, you know, to work in Europe because you can't just go over there and work anymore. You have to get work permits and everything has to be 
you know, um, legally sort of above board, which is difficult for, for, for porn, you know. But um, And on top of that, you've got the whole um, testing thing. So three days before we came back, we had to get a, a test in Spain. And then when you get back in the UK, you have to have another test on day two and day eight. So I'm still in isolation now. And I'm going to be in isolation for the final, <laughs> which oh. is really fucking me off. There's no, there's no way to break the law for that. Well, there is, there's a 10 grand fine. And they're literally calling me three times a day, test and trace, to, to make sure I'm Oh, I'm they home, do? You know? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean... And, um, as, as much as... I'll tell you what, it's... If we win, I might sneak out with Layla. <laughs> Leave the telly on at home and say, well, we didn't hear you. We were fucked. <laughs> well, as someone as someone who's breaking the law every game, I'm driving to bars with a broken leg. Uh, I have no car insurance to do this. So, so yeah, I, I, I would advocate you, you, you do break the law. Tell us about Layla because Trash's girlfriend is German. And we've knocked Germany out of the competition. I've not spoke to you about oh, yeah. sitting there. What I've not spoke to you about watching that game. How how was that? Oh my god! Because so, I try to wind her up and text her, and they've been ignored. Like my messages yeah. to Layla have been ignored completely. No, no, it's a little bit of that, but also the fact that people think it's very glamorous working on a porn set, you know. But literally, we were working from eight o'clock in the morning till sometimes midnight every night, like you know like eight days in a row and it's very i'm not looking for sympathy <laughs> it's very draining and uh, and there's lots to do but when that match came on i said fuck everyone right we were watching this game you know uh six o'clock there was a spanish time kickoff we are sitting down and we we're watching this match and uh she had a germany shirt i had my english shirt and yeah it was quite it was quite fractious and emotional but i do think because she's been in england for a while now she um you know it's her second team now really you know she's got a Eng- lot of english inside <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she so she's going to carry over and support england for the rest of the tournament yeah she she was like, she was like properly getting into it, like um, on Wednesday, you know, like really, really getting emotional, like when she watches Spurs. I've, yeah, I've also made her into a Tottenham fan. To my uh... <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I kind of wanted to get to because obviously you, you, you're on, you're on here, you're my mate, you're a poor producer, but we've been to loads of games together. Uh, there was a time where I was getting those uh, free comps for for Tottenham at Wembley. We went to loads of them. We've been to England games together. So you are a hardcore football fan. Your girlfriend's a hardcore football fan. You're hardcore Spurs. Um, First, before I ask you how the game's going to go, how do you think Kane's tournament's developed? Because there were people that legitimately wanted Calvert-Lewin to come into the team for Harry Kane. They were saying that he's he's distracted and he's not with it. Yeah, my my view on it is, is... It, it just takes a bit of bedding in, you know, when in, anyone starts a tournament. And he's so used to playing with, you know, the likes of Tom, the Celso, Lamella, you know, um, um, Lucas Mora, all these players that know him, know how to feed him, know where he is on the field. All of a sudden, you got you got um, that Scotland game, you know, where I felt like Sterling, I felt like... Um, you know, a few of the England players, they, they kind of like were doing individual sort of solo efforts, right. you know, and they weren't really playing as a team. And, uh, and yeah, and I just felt like, because sometimes he's not like a classic centre forward where he just sits, 
you know, in front of the, you know, the midfielders. He does play deep. He does hold the ball up. And I just thought, thought you know, it just took a bit of time to, uh, you know, to, to get that. I mean, um, yeah, that first game, well, second game against Scotland with, um, I think it was Mount and we had Foden and we had Sterling in midfield and a very, very similar types of players. And, uh, yeah, and I felt like, yeah, they didn't really know how to work Kane into the game. Now, I think that changed a bit when Sancho came on and it's, and it's, and it's helping as well now with, um, Walker and, um, Saka. and, um, yeah, yeah, d- down that side and Luke, and Luke Shaw as well, powering up the wings and, um, yeah, and, and I'm, Kane's, you know, his greatest asset for Tottenham this season is just literally holding up the ball, being strong, and and bringing other players into play at the same time. So yeah, I just think it's taken a bit of time to gel, but they seem like they're getting there now and they're communicating and uh, they're gelling a bit. Yeah. Well, well pre-pandemic, you would have watched more Tottenham than than me during the pandemic. I've been able to watch loads of Tottenham because every game's been on. Uh, that's been the only one good thing about lockdown. Um, <laughs> I. I I, I noticed a lot that he... I don't know if it's something in his mind where he wants to become a greater player than he is. Like, he wants to sort of be seen as a Messi and a Ronaldo. Uh, he doesn't just want to be a goal scorer. It seems like, for me, it seems like there'd be something in his head where he wants to be a number 10. He doesn't want to be a Shearer or, a, or, or, or anybody like that who gets in the box and, or a Lineker that gets, the, that gets these, these tappings. So you're seeing Kane pulling into this position and I'm not a fan of that. I was critical, not so much of Kane as a player and wanting him to be dropped, but I didn't understand this dropping really deep and he's done it a lot for Tottenham as well. I don't know whether this has been implemented by a specific manager, Jose Mourinho, namely, yeah. or whether it's something that Kane's doing by himself, but... I do just want to see him more in the middle and feeding off those scraps, but he doesn't really seem yeah. like he wants to do that now. Yeah, no, it's definitely a Mourinho factor. Um, the fact that he's, um, uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he had one of the, you know, the highest assists in the season. As yeah, well he as did. The yeah. Golden boot. yeah. So that just shows that he's not only playing the centre-forward role, but he's also playing this other role. And I think he wants to be all things at all times. And and it's funny actually. I was I was a little bit annoyed with how the season went and how um, Gareth Bale was just um, you know left on the bench so many games because maybe he would have one off game and then he'd be dropped. But Kane can go through a game sometimes and two games where um, you know he's kind of like a passenger and he doesn't really do much, but he'll never be dropped. You know he's always the first name on the team sheet. And, but he will eventually pay dividends, you know. Um, but he does sometimes, like, he is, he is sometimes guilty of going missing and, and I think trying to be more of a player than he actually is, you know, sometimes. How do you see, um, Sunday going? Are you, are you worried about it at all? How, how do you see it playing yes, out? I am. <laughs> yeah. I said, I said, this has remnants to me of, um, Euro 96. I think after the Scotland win, if I'm correct, we played Spain afterwards. We we played and Scotland that, and then we played Holland and destroyed them. Then we played Spain. Oh, that was it. Right. So, yeah, we had the Holland game and it was amazing. And then we played Spain. And and it was just like, you know, this sort of, you know, sort of tight, nervous affair. And uh, I can see, because the, the Italians are so tactically astute, I can see this going down the same road. Um, I really can. I can see... 
a nil-nil after extra time. I really can. You're not far yeah. off what I think. I, I, I think it'll be... I'm definitely on board with it being un, under two and a half goals in the game. Uh, and, and I can see it going to extra time. But I also believe um, if Harry Kane's missing penalties, that means the nerves have got to him. Uh, and yeah. and he just doesn't you know miss what? penalties, and I and I don't like England in a penalty shootout in this game. Yeah, do you know what? That was I've seen every Kane penalty that he's taken in the last fucking three years, and he always hits that side netting when it goes in, just boom, right in the corner, right in the corner, right in the corner. Goalkeeper, no chance. Score, score, score. And that was the first time I'd seen him hit a penalty, you know, in that two thirds area in the goalkeeper saving area and yeah. it was like oh my god what the fuck's going on and it was only because Michael tried to catch it that he was lucky enough to get the rebound otherwise if he palmed it away you know maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation now yeah I mean I, I think Denmark were pretty tired so I think they would have got another chance but it's difficult to get over Kane missing and then it's difficult then to go into that shootout with Kane missing anyway I also think they had a better goalkeeper I also think the real Pickford turned up, which is worrying to me um, because he he was having a decent tournament. But I've seen him in a Premier League this season, and it's not been great. Yeah, what's your to clo- yeah. to close out? What's your prediction here? Uh, what and what would you give out as a bet? Um, so um, I've seen on um, online now that they are offering. Let me just bring it up. Uh, seven to one on a nil nil. Right. I'm sorry to be boring, you know, but... No, we're just trying to make money here, so it's fine. <laughs> I really think it's going to be so cagey and the Italians are so good at defending, you know, and we've got a decent defence as well. No one's... Everyone's going to be scared of making a mistake. And I think um, we're going to go down that road. And unfortunately, I think we're going to go through to that, that old England scenario of extra time and penalties too. <laughs> All right, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I'm going to give my picks out at the end of the show, but yeah, I'm, I'm very aligned with what you're saying. Um, do you want to give out any social media, anything before you come off? Oh, yeah, if you want to follow me and you like porn, <laughs> Twitter, at Trashmeister, which is Trash, M-E-I-S-E-R, Meister, which is Master in German. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to hear from you. <laughs> Talk about football instead of porn sometimes. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Hopefully, um, we are both wrong and they just win this game 3 uh, 0 and it's comfortable. But yeah, I have a feeling it's not going to be very comfortable for us to watch. Thanks for coming on, mate, and, yeah. talk, and talking to us. No worries. Love you lots, Billy. Take Cheers, care. mate. Thank you. Sterling. He's still turkey enough. Kane. Grealish. Shaw. Across for Sterling. seen scenes like this in a football ground for a long, long time. He starts the move, Raheem Sterling. He's positive. He's direct. He drives at them, plays the ball into Harry Kane, continues his run. And that little bit of there, that little bit of quality, the hold of the ball. And our man, our main man, our top goal scorer in this tournament, Raheem Sterling, on home turf, puts us 1-0 up. There's an error, and Havertz is onto it, and he's got the run through the middle. It is Thomas Muller, England's nemesis, but not this time. That never used to happen.
time on his hands to pick his spot, Thomas Muller. He just drags it wide. He can't get back to his feet. England press regardless for sure. And now Grealish. Grealish in! In comes the captain! 2-0 England! Harry Kane's championship has begun! This man's been waiting a lifetime to stick that one in the back of the net. And Jack Grealish, another assist. He wasn't going to miss that one that time, Harry Kane. It hasn't been his best game, but he's waited, and he's waited for that chance to come. And that feeling, but it's what he's waited for for a long, long time. Stones down, Henderson clear. Brilliant. And that is it. It's finally happened. England beat Germany at a major tournament. If you're an England fan, take a look around and drink it in. Where you are, who you're with. Because this is one of those landmark football moments that don't come around too often. The next is on Saturday. Onwards to Rome, where things could get better and better and better. Okay, we're going to bring on another guest now. This guy is actually my cousin, Harry. But Harry and his brother Alfie have been going to the game. So that's what I want to talk about with, with Harry. How you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Just a bit upset with my leg situation, not being able to get to these games. As someone that's been going to nearly every game since 89, you want to go to a, a major tournament if you can. But but what happened with me was the there was loads of refunds at the beginning where the capacity was reduced. So I had some yeah. tickets. I would have dragged myself there with a broken leg, as you know. But um, they all got they all got sent back. So I, I've still been trying to get to these games. But you've been going. You've been paying over the odds for them. But it's obviously been worth the money because how often are we going to beat Germany in, in, in a major tournament? Um, can you compare the atmosphere to these games? Because you you go to you go to West Ham all the time. Uh, you've been to England friendlies. You've been to other games, possibly in the Nations League. Just compare this atmosphere for this tournament and the the expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look, I've been following football my whole life, as you have, Bill. You know, it's it, it's one of those things that it, you really can't put it into words. That Germany game. I mean, I've been at some 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 games that have had, you know real real good atmosphere you know the FA Cup final West Ham Liverpool I've been to cup finals not many but but with them um, but that Germany game was, was different level I mean, we, we, we paid above the odds but, but it was one of those moments where we looked at each other at the end of it and went you know are, are we going to see this again you know hopefully with this side we will but um, the, the, the general atmosphere around the ground in the ground before after kickoff has been has been unbelievable to be honest, which is why we 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 done it again, paid above the odds, and went for the semi. You know, it, it's it's electric down there. I kind of compare it to the Olympics a little bit. That that buzz we had around London um, in 2012 seems to have carried through to this tournament. You know, so it's, it's been brilliant, mate. But everybody always says it's it's coming over. We've been saying it since '96. But with this team. Do you believe, I mean, previously we've had uh, Rio, Terry, Gerard, Lampard, Beckham, Rooney. We've had world-class teams before. We've fallen well short. Um, is there a different expectation there or is there still, or do you kind of like pull it back a bit? As someone that's not a casual football fan, as someone that goes and watches a lot of football and knows, have you pulled back your expectation? Are you just fully on board now? Do you really believe 
in these players Mate, more so I'll, than those. I was on board before the tournament started. I, I really thought we'd win it this year. You know, I, 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 you know, as a football fan, following these players, yes, we've had the Gerrards, the Roonies, the Lampards. That's, I had some friends saying, "Let's finish, let's finish second in the group and make sure we don't get this nah. last sixteen tie." But you were not bothered. No way, no way. I thought we could beat any team in that in in, that, in this in this Euros. I don't think there's a team. All right, on paper maybe, but 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 our squad really is the, the power of what we've had coming off the bench. I think's been different different level this year and, and I thought before the game I don't think we've ever had as many winners you know I know we've had the odd winner but they, they always seem like they never got on they always seem like there was there was something behind you know or in the background that was going on that was forcing the players to you know the Roonies and the Gerrards to, to, to actually not go and where if you look at this group of lads that have come through the 21s together they've come through youth football together some of them have grown up together they look like a, a group of winners you know I, I thought we'd win it before and they're young they're fearless We've got pace, they've got ability, they can beat a player, they've been in Champions League finals, some of them have won it, you know, they've been on the big stages and I, I said at the beginning of the tournament, you know, I think it's ours, I think it's ours to lose, especially at Wembley, you know, seven out of eight games at Wembley, I thought it was ours to lose from the start. Well, that, that's the thing, coming into the tournament, I, my concerns were the, the, the political side of things we'll talk about next and also the fact that we had players playing in the Champions League final. Um, they were rested for the friendlies. I saw France playing their full team. I saw Benzema, Griezmann and Mbappe playing in the friendlies. Everybody seemed to be prepared. But um, we, we didn't seem to put our full strength team out for those friendlies. We were actually playing squad players that weren't even going to come to the tournament. So I was worried about those couple of one nils. And then obviously with the politics seeping in, there was a divide over the whole taking the knee, not to take the knee. My stance is... I've got I've got no particular stance on 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 BLM or, or whatever, but with the with the kneeling because it was causing a divide, I thought that's going to be a problem for the team. Have you seen any of that seeping in? You you've been to grounds, you've obviously experienced what happens when there is a divide in terms of the reaction to it when they do kneel down. What's it like in the stadium? And also, were you concerned that it was going to cause a divide on the pitch in terms of where the there's a disconnect between the crowd and the players? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think firstly, to, to say that, you know, I feel the same as you, I don't, I don't really feel one way or the other, but I think the, the divide, I think the good thing for the team was the divide didn't seem to come in the camp this time. It seemed to be that all the players had a particular view. Uh, they took that view and, and, and they all stood by each other, which, which I think shows in how they play. I think that's the first thing. The, the second thing with where the divide comes in and being in the ground with it is probably more so with the fans. You know, the, the English fans... You know, are many things. You know, passionate's one of them, and there's a lot of different views around different stadiums, different parts of the country, as you know. But you know, you could go and have speak to somebody in London and speak to somebody in, you know, I was talking to somebody in Chesterfield with two completely different, you know, attitudes towards these type of things. Personally, I don't think politics should be brought into into sport and into football. And what it has done in the stadiums, from what I've seen, is it's caused a bit of a divide between the fans as opposed to the players. You know, if you are one of those people that have been brought up on football when you, you know, you, you boo the other team, you know, or, or you boo the national anthem or, you know, or you're opposed to somebody taking the knee. I think there is a bit more friction than we've ever seen. But how is that, how has that manifested itself? So if you've got a booer and a non-booer, have you seen any confrontation from it or just a dirty look or just a bunch of looks going that, in that direction? How is it sort of manifested in the stand? 
Yeah, I mean, there's confrontation. There's definitely confrontation. I mean, I, I've, I'm sitting, sitting in front of a couple of guys arguing about booing the national anthem, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I think the, the problem with this tournament is is there, there is an air of relief about, you know, about coming out of, of, of a lockdown and things like that. Everybody genuinely is excited. I don't think people really want to be row, and I think this, this point kind of gives people a... Everybody loves a debate now. Everybody loves an argument, you know, so I think that just gives people a... A reason to argue within the ground. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the confrontation in, you know, in and out of the ground about booing the anthems, taking the knees, people really, you know, really arguing about it. But one way or another, it hasn't affected the players. I think that's the main thing. I think it hasn't carried through into the atmosphere, into getting behind the team. Um, you know, there's just an underlined debate, I suppose, or a topic of conversation the fans are happy to argue about. Well, Gim Balaguer said today, he goes, he's so surprised with the reaction in Spain in terms of the dislike towards England, the playing style that England have put in this competition, um, the way that it's been designed for us to win. It seems like the catalyst has been the penalty that Sterling got, where, where there's a lot of headlines about it. And now a lot of teams around Europe have turned. So they've ignored the fact that Immobile is sitting on the floor. And he's celebrating yeah. as soon as a goal goes in. And now the tur- it's turned towards England. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you had six home games and, and, uh, and you got this penalty because you're at home. So they were kind of waiting to jump on us with this penalty as kind of now giving the catalyst for the rest of Europe to, to jump on England. Do you think that that's going to have any sway in the game? How, how do you see it playing out? And do you think it is us against all of Europe and this could influence the game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think it is us against all of Europe, whether we like it or not. But I think the reality of it is, you know, yes, we got a penalty. You know, was it soft? Maybe. But in today's game, I mean, if you look at some of the decisions that go, especially in the Premier League, I, I think it was a stone wall penalty. But you know, it, it is what it is. They're always going to think we've, we've had a home advantage. I think it was was it was it the Ukraine game? Uh, you know, we had we had four German referees. You know, and we you know we won four 0 I, I I don't think we've got any bias towards England. I don't think it will affect the way we play. What, what you know, There's going to be England fans that are sitting there going, I want to play the Brazil way. I want to see us you know, beat players and win 4-5-0. That's not international football. It never has been international football. Even the great teams of, of you know, 10, 15 years ago, the Brazil teams, they weren't, they weren't smashing teams 5 or 6-0. So I think we've got to accept that Gareth Southgate isn't a Pep Guardiola. Well, I say Pep Guardiola. He isn't a, he isn't a forward-thinking manager as, as such. But... We've not conceded a goal from open play. We're solid at the back, which even with the likes of Terry and Rio and you know all the players we've had of past, we couldn't say that. You know, and and I think I think the reason we go on to win is is because of that. I think yeah, we'd love to see some sexy football, but I don't think Southgate's the type of manager that will let that affect the way the players are going to go out and play. Whether we like it or not, they're probably going to go out set up set up with five at the back, you know, and and, and play our game and and you know. <laughs> If, we, if we're in the final at a, at a tournament, I don't think we can really be too complacent of it. I was going to ask you that. Do you think we'll go to back to three four three, or do you think we'll play four four three three? Um, but you answered it already. You think we're going to go back to the three four three, which is actually yeah. really a back five. So you it think you think five, you yeah. think Walker's going to go and sit in as the third centre back and go back to the wing backs? Yeah, yeah. I think he'll do what he did against Germany. I think he'll do what he did in the last, you know, second half of the extra time against Denmark I think he'll go for five and he'll sit right. the difference is that Germany will put, we match their formation for formation but the Italians are going in with a back four so you don't think that'll make a difference no no I still think he'll go with five um, 
you know, we all, we all want to see those full, you know, uh, there's going to be so many different opinions of having Sancho sitting on the bench or, you know, the, the likes of, of Rashford not coming on or Grealish is obviously the big talking point. Grealish, I've never seen a player have that much hype around him for, for so long. It, it spills into the ground. The cheer that that man got when he comes onto the pitch is, is phenomenal and we'd love to see him. But the reality is Southgate wants to go with a certain type of player and I think that certain type of player will hurt the Italians. You know, those centre-backs that they've got, they looked tired in the last 20 minutes of the Spain game. That Spain team shouldn't have taken them as far as they did. And if you have got Sterling or Saka or Sancho on the pitch with a bit of pace, I think we can hurt them. So I think he goes the same as what he did against Germany. You know, we, we try and keep the ball and we, we hit them on the, on the counter. Uh, give us a bet to close out because it's a soccer gambling podcast. So we need something from you to finish up. Sure. Look, I, I think like I just touched on there, I think the Italians are going to come out of the blocks firing. You know, that's the only way they win the game because they will lose their legs. So I, I can see um, Italy half-time, England full-time um, is my bet for the, for, the, uh, for the tournament. I've done a lot of stones on Maguire first goals because uh, I think our chances do come from corners. But I think Italy half-time, England full-time or, or even Harry Kane a brace to win the, 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 the tournament, you know, the highest goal scorers for the tournament. I think having a bad tournament, he might slip in and win it knowing him. But that's what I'd go with, something along those lines. Thank you, mate. Any social media you want to plug anything or just just want to come on and chat? No, just coming on to chat, mate. Good to speak to you. And you, mate. Thank you for coming on. Cheers. No worries, mate. Speak soon. So up next, I'm going to bring on a regular here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Um, he's been on talking about football before. He's been on talking about boxing before. He's won you a load of money in boxing. He's a former boxer. I'm going to bring in Mr. Jeff Cohen. Hey, how you doing, Bill? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How have you been enjoying this tournament? Yeah, do you know what? I really have enjoyed it. It's brought the country together. Um, England have actually played well um, after a slow start. Um, the Italians, who I knew would be good, and I thought putting them eight to one at the start was absolute criminal from the bookies. But um, you said that at the I start. Sure, yeah, I made sure I got on that early doors. So I wouldn't say it's a win-win for me on Sunday because I'll happily lose my bet. Um, but if England don't win, which I want them to win, then I'll be about seven hundred pound up. So, but you're um, part Italian anyway, aren't you? Your son's your son's got an Italian name. In ancestry, my granddad had it in him, and my son's name's Luca. But I'm fully English, and I, um, yeah, um, I want us to win on the Sunday in the final. So, as you've mentioned that, what do you think about the feel of this tournament? Because we've all been through it before, and I think you're, you're, you're closer to my age than the other guests that we've had on. I remember Italian 90 made me a fan, and I also yeah. think Italian 90 saved English football, because I don't think there'd be a Premier League without Italian 90. I think people looked at that and thought, do you know what? We, this isn't just for hooligans and, and guys yeah. that like to go out. I think we can save this. I think we can make a product for everybody because everybody was invested in that tournament. Since then, we've had like disappointments. We've put all our eggs in baskets with Beckham, Gerrard, Owen, yeah. Rooney, yeah. all of these great teams that came along that didn't yeah. do anything. And now yeah. this team's come along. But do you feel sort of like that um, the, the, the Premier League is very, very commercialised and international football's kind of been put to the back and whereas we got these major tournaments every two years and they were always a big deal does this feel as big because there's just so much football on? Yeah, I mean it's, it's really 
really bizarre. It's taken like a 180 turn because, as you know, from back in the day, the reason that England, the golden generation, um, so to speak, and we didn't win anything with a team that included Beckham, Owen, Gerrard, Rooney, all these wonderful players, Lampard, Skulls. And they, you know, Rio Ferdinand came out and said that the reason we didn't, in his opinion, and everyone agreed, was that there, were, there was division in the camp. The Man United players stayed with the Man United players, the Chelsea players stayed with the Chelsea players, the Arsenal players stayed with the Arsenal players. And they didn't gel. Um, and that's the reason. Now, in a weird way, now, after the whole um, Super League debacle, where the top six clubs kind of, you know, really put their eggs in that basket and, and showed that they don't care for English football, in a weird way now, it's flipped to the England football team of the country is now the one where everyone's together and in it together and the Premier League is the one where they're kind of you know there's division and you know it's like the players have come away from all that pressure of the champion of the Super League into England and they've become one and and you look at it now and you see the likes of Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips who last season you know Rice you know I know he's a decent player Calvin Phillips I saw numerous times in the championship Abireze absolutely destroy him and thought, how the hell was this guy playing for England? But to be fair, he's been one of our best players. And I think now the Premier League has become that that hotbed of you know division and you know chair, club chairman and, and club managers and players. You know they're they're all disagreeing with what they want, and you know people are, are resigning from positions like the Manchester United guy did because you know he he wanted the Super League. It didn't happen. So England's almost like a nice getaway for them to go and represent their country. And you can tell, you can tell the squad is as harmonious and as together as any English squad in my lifetime. So, speaking of um, speaking of that, obviously there's been some political issues going into this. The players have been united by taking a knee. The fans haven't exactly been on board of it. I'm not one that says sports and politics mix. So, there's been it's been very very like black and white, and it's not a black and white situation. If you if you are against the knee, you're a racist. But I'm not white, so so that's the thing. Like I, I've just been, I, I've been very much a case of how can I be racist? I'm I, I'm not I'm not white with this opinion. I just don't I mean, think that politics mix. It doesn't matter what colour you are. You you can you you don't have to be white to be racist. But the problem being is that as you said, there's a whole lot behind it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't support them taking the knee. I certainly wouldn't have booed it though at the ground. No, um, because it comes across as the, you know, in that sense, it comes across as a as a kind of almost a racist thing. Um, I think it, taking the knee was far too um, closely linked to the Black Lives Matter um, political movement, not the actual true words, Black Lives, of course they matter, Black Lives, of course they matter, all lives matter, but the, the taking the knee was linked to the Black Lives Matter political movement, the ones that were looting, the ones that were, you know, doing all the stuff that you saw in the summer. So, as I said, I think a better thing would have been for the two teams to hold hands around the centre circle with a big thing in the middle, you know, saying against racism would have probably been better. Yeah. I think taking the knee was, was, was too closely linked to the to political movement. And that is why it caused such a, um, a run and, you know, uh, and it was such a, a, a negative thing for, for some football fans. Well, let, let's talk about Raheem Sterling because you're, you're a QPR fan. His roots are with QPR. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he's kind of been the face of this. He's been seen as like the face of of this this political movement. And at the same time, I, I feel like that has resulted in his, in his accomplishments in his tournament being overblown. I don't think he's had a bad tournament. Obviously, he can't have done. He's got a goal record which is great, which we'll talk about in a second. He's been in the right place to score the goals, although they've been easy. But there've been a lot of misses, and there's a lot of times where he's got the ball 
and he runs into crowded areas where he shouldn't be going. His, his final ball, his final ball isn't very good. Uh, when I saw him on a free kick the other day, I wasn't. I, I was like, I, my immediate reaction is, why is he taking it? I find myself constantly screaming at Sterling during his tournament. For me, not the player of the tournament at all. But I think again. The political stuff comes into it where he'll be made into the player of the tournament. If England win this, he'll get it automatically. So yeah. what do you think? What's your... I know you're honest. Even even though uh, you're, you're a QPR fan, uh, you'll, be, you'll be honest about this. You'll be able to assess yeah. this without, without having a casual head on it. We always laugh no, about casual yeah, I mean, football I mean, fans I'm, and casual I'm boxing like fans. Because I like... I think he's a wonderful player. Um, we found... And the, the beauty of the story behind it, the QPR scouts went out to like a goals... AstroTurf pitch and saw this young lad at 15 years old, took him on, made him the ball, 14 years old, sorry, made him what he was, sold him to Liverpool. Liverpool promised him a big house and look after him. Of course, any young lad's going to go there. Um, and, and as a result of it, he joined Man City and, and my club got £6 million as a sell-on clause. So I like the, the romantic story behind it. I also like Sterling in that he's very humble. Um, if you're looking at performances, um, we spoke about it before, I didn't realise this, but Raheem Sterling has scored 15 goals in his last 24 England games. And that includes qualifiers, um, probably the last World Cup even. And whilst what, I agree with what you said, he is wasteful sometimes, but the thing with Sterling is that his end product is there. Stats, you can't argue with as a winger, 15 goals in 24 games. But it's with Sterling, in my opinion, it's the worry he will bring. So the Italians on Sunday, they are not going to want to face the pace of Sterling and Saka, even Sancho and either. They're all quick. And you're not going to get around the likes of Bonucci and Cialini with good old-fashioned, you know, centre-forward play. The only way you're going to punish them, and it's been shown in this tournament, is with a bit of pace. And I think that's where Raheem Sterling um, will be key. And, you know, personally, I would start Saka on the left because he has got lightning pace, ready with Jack Grealish to come on, you know, in the latter stages. Um, but I do like Raheem Sterling. I think he's done a really, really um, a good tournament. Um, I do think you're probably right. Uh, for me, England's player in the tournament has probably either been Rice or Phillips um, as a player because they come on but yeah, Raheem Sterling's got the goals you know he is kind of the face of the England camp as such so he probably will get it which I wouldn't mind but yeah I, listen I like Raheem Sterling um, you know I like the fact that, that, that he comes from, from his roots from my club um, and he's come on and he's, he's doing the business 15 goals in 24 games you can't argue with that well I mean, for, for me I know it's a, it's a massively biased opinion but I think Luke Shaw has established himself as the best left back in the world in this tournament. And I think yeah. Harry Maguire has, has established himself as someone that ain't no joke anymore. He, he, he signed for United. Everybody said it was too much money. We had the 13th best defence before we signed him. Now we've got the second best defensive yeah. record. He, he's and shown again, his importance. That's, that's, that you can't argue with, right? No. Um, they are stats. And that's a good shout. I did, listen, I was talking about Luke Shaw to my friend um, the other day, and I agree. He's always been, when Southampton had him and he joined Man United, he was the, the, the wonder kid. He lost his way and then the Mourinho thing happened. And, and you know what? I saw an interview with him the other day and he said, I'm playing with a smile on my face now, which is lovely to see because that's why he's played. He's always had the ability. He had his weight problems and his injury problems. But yeah, I agree. You're probably right. As far as um, establish themselves, Luke Shaw has really, really established himself. It's between the three, Shaw, Rice and Phillips, um, who have been England's best player for this tournament. Um, but I really do like Luke Shaw um, and potentially, yeah, one of the best left-backs in the world now. So let's, let's talk about the game before we, before we finish up. Um, I, I think the way to beat this team is with the pace. Uh, we've seen the, yeah. the player that caused them the most problems in this entire tournament was Doku of Belgium. 
The problem is that Belgium set up with a with a three four three formation, and once Doku had beaten a couple of men, he didn't have the support inside the box. Belgium approached that game strangely, in in a negative way when they had better attacking options. My my cousin was just on before you, and he expects it to be a cagey game where he thinks England are going to go back to the back the back three three four three, which is basically a back five. I don't really want to see that. I want to see us get at them and press them up high at the pitch. What? How are you expecting for it to play out? I mean, that, uh, the thing is with this, this uh, people need to understand these Italians, they need one goal and they can close the game out. So you have to be cautious. But I believe, and I spoke to my dad earlier, I believe, um, I believe that it will be a, I believe it will be a, a draw. Um, I, I, can't, I can't see, I can see England's defence um, ruling out, um, and Italy's defence ruling out goals. So I can actually see it being a, being a, a nil-nil draw. That, you, that's unbelievable because we got that at seven to one, and everybody has come on and, and said they can see it. Yeah, but this is the thing. Southgate is a cautious manager. Now, I don't think we, it's wise to go for them because if we don't break them down and it's not working, and we need to change mid-game, and they nick a goal and decide to shut the shop up, and we've already gone at them with our attacking option that didn't work, that's very risky. I think Southgate will do more of a. Um, Suck it and see, you know, let the first half fizzle out, see what happens, and then hopefully bring Grealish on and nick a goal. I don't think we can go at them. They're too good for us just to go at them. If we go gung-ho at them and it doesn't work, that's plan A, B and C gone. We're not going to beat them by bringing on, you know, uh, Jordan Henderson to defend a nil-nil draw. (laughs) So, So, you know, for me, I think it's going to be very, very cagey affair. I don't think there'll be... I mean, definitely, if you're looking at unders, you know, under goals and whatnot, it's going to be under... Two, you know, under under two goals, I believe, uh, and I think if you get on bet three six five, they pay out on a board draw. So if it's nil nil, you get your money back. So you can in fact bet bet the draw, bet one one or the draw. And if it's nil nil, you get your money back. Or if it's a draw and it wins, you win your money. So I think nil nil is a very very good bet. I think I think it will go. To, do you know what? I think this it's, is England. It's going to penalties. Um, it will go to penalties. And, um, we'll be put through the mill again as fans. Yeah, I don't like us on penalties. I don't like the way Harry Kane took that penalty in the in extra time. So if his nerves are like that for extra time, I don't know how the other players are going to cope with a shootout. That that is my main concern. Uh, I like I love Italy on penalties at twelve to one. Not I love it in a sense that I want it to happen, but I, I like it as a bet. Um, any bet that you want to give out other than the under is that your main main way that you would go? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe a draw. A draw is a good price. Um, I would I would I would lump heavily on a draw. Um, Looking at cards as well, I often win a lot, and you know this, I win a lot on the first player booked. Um, and I think if you're looking at fullbacks, either the Italian fullbacks or Chiellini, because they're going to be facing pacey players. And they only take a little trip, just like the penalty with Sterling, a little touch. And, and I think early, Southgate is adventurous at any way, shape, or form. Early on, it'll be telling them to get at them, get at the fullbacks, you know, get a booking, put them on edge for the rest of the game. So if you look at, um, I don't know the, um, I don't know the odds yet, but certainly if you look at um, first booking player, maybe Chiellini. Well, you um, got any time here, any time Emerson five to one is massive. Any time uh, Di Lorenzo at seven to two, any time booking massive. Chiellini seven to two, any time. These are well, big, big prices. I mean, you get your real value at first, but so if, you, if they're going to get booked, it'll, they'll be one of the first ones because they're the defensive players. But, I mean, if I, I have a quick look now, if we look at the first player booked, I mean, we're looking at this now. I mean, wow, where are we? Chiellini is 16-1 to 1 to be the first player booked. 
Yep. For the £10, it wins you 170 Now, for me, he should be favourite, because he's facing Raheem Sterling. Um, the other guy at the Emerson that you mentioned... Um, 20 to 1. First player booked, Emerson is... I've got 20 to 1 here, and I've got De Lorenzo at 12 to 1. 20 to 1, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That's where the money is. So you don't have to put big stakes out. So you, you, your guests can put £5, £10 down and still win back big. But this is a tough one to, to score. But I just think you look at it, the pace of the wingers are going to cause them a lot of trouble. And I think early on, Saka will be saying to Sterling, get at them, you know, get that booking. You've got Ben Chiellini and then Emerson on a knife edge, you know, for the next, whatever, 60, 70 minutes if we get a book in early. So that's definitely one bet. I think go for the draw. Um, and other than that, sit back and try and enjoy it um, as much as you can. Um, can we uh, get you back? I think Wilder and Fury has been cancelled again. It's not 100% yeah, it's confirmed, October, yeah, but it looks like we can. But when, we, when it does go down eventually or, or whenever we do have a big fight, can we get yeah. you back on? Of course you can. Yeah, listen, there's, there's loads coming up now. There's, a, there's some very good fights coming up. Um, there's a couple in the, in the makings. Hopefully, um, Conor Ben's going to fight the... Um, well, Pacquiao, Sp- Pacquiao Spence, you're going to come on and talk about that? Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, look, that's going to be... That's a, a legend, Pacquiao fighting. Um, Sp- Errol Spence, who I called... Second biggest fight of the year after, uh, after Mayweather and Paul. Yeah. I want to I want to get into that with you. I want to get into this whole celebrity boxing thing with you. I want to when when we do that show. Yeah, we 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 need to do a whole show. Uh give us your uh, social media before you go. Give us my what sorry? Your social media before you go. Oh, it's um it's uh at and then left hook QPR. Left hook H O K QPR. All right. Thanks Jeff. Cheers for coming on. Thanks mate. Cheers Billy. No worries. Take care. Bye mate. performance from Italy been outstanding and this man he's grown in the game one of the best first half of football I've seen from Italy ever uh, my final guest that I wanted to bring in, I actually have known him for a long, long time, about over 20 years, actually. But I haven't spoken to him for a while. I saw his uh, opinion on this game on Facebook, and it was very different to everybody else we had on. I'll be honest with you, he's definitely the best-looking person that I've had on. If I, if, 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 the, if the listeners see your, see your body, they're going to get jealous. But I had to bring you on for your opinion. It is Terry Long. So... Terry, you had something completely different to say about how this game's going to play out on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I've just watched the, obviously watched the Spanish game, um, and they seem to have the blueprint to beat Italy. I mean, the verse, the kind of interchangeable um, versatility of the front three, kind of run, run and ragged, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, if they had a goal scorer, uh, Old Mile had a couple of. But, but that's the thing I was going to say to you straight away. Do you think that we'll keep the ball like that because we haven't kept the ball. We've not had 60 or 70, over 60% or nowhere near 70% in any game. They're averaging 72 over the course of the tournament. Yeah, that's, that's a good stat. I, I think, I mean, what Kane did, I mean, it, when, he, when, he comes, when he comes deep and picks the ball up, that's going to drag a defender out and create a little bit more space and maybe give us a bit, a bit more space to play. Um, but, I mean, obviously with Sterling, uh, he's better running at players, so he might have to come a bit deeper, pick the ball up a bit deeper and run at them. Um, I mean, they're missing their, their best fall-back in Spinazzola. I mean, he's been, he's been the difference for them, hasn't he? I mean, a, he's, a few he's guys picked up on that. As we were, we were analysing the game, 
we know the biggest problem that Italy have had in the whole tournament was Doku uh, of Belgium. He was just running exactly. in at them. But, but nobody yeah. was... They didn't have a... Belgium didn't... Uh, De Bruyne was off, was, was off that day. They didn't have a, a Lampard or a Sterling or somebody coming in for the second ball that did anything with what Doku did. So he was, yeah. putting, he, was run, he, was, he was beating the fullback and putting balls into empty spaces. Like Lukaku can't be relied on to do everything. He can't get onto the end of every ball and, and nobody no. was nobody was breaking their neck to get in there. That that was what no, we noticed. Exactly, yeah. We've we've got to go beyond Kane, we've got to get runners going on beyond Kane. But I, I think to certainly match them up in terms of the formation. Um I mean do they have much much danger going forward? I mean, I don't think we have to pay KG. I think we just play with confidence and freedom. I know it's a final when anything can happen, you can freeze, but I think if we play with freedom and confidence, I think, you know, what do we have to worry about up there? You know, Immobile's been pretty awful. Um, what's he got? He's not... He's, is he great in the airs? He's got no pace. Um, Maguire, I think Maguire's been really, really good this this tournament. I think he's looked good coming out of the fence and playing the ball. Um, so, you know, obviously they've got Insignia, who's, who's quite dangerous, but, you know, he's much more dangerous when Spinazzola plays on that side and gives him a little space to cut back in and shoot. I mean, I'd rather see us take him on the outside let balls come into the box and we'll deal with it rather than letting Chiesa and Insigne cut inside and have a shot. I, I think we can let them go on the outside. They, you know, he hasn't got a left foot anyway, so I don't think the quality the quality is going to be that good coming in the box anyway that we can just clear up, clear our lines. You know, um, it's weird because I'm it's weird. I'm worried about the game because um, a few weeks ago. Uh, Around about the the time the quarterfinals were happening, um, as a, as a United fan, I was looking at the the players in the tournament, and I wrote an article about how I didn't want anybody from the the other teams, apart from Belgium, where I would take Lukaku back. I would I would sign Tielemans of Leicester. Uh, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne gets into the Man United team, and the only other yeah. one was uh, Don Donnarumma. I think's better than what we've got in goal. If you look around the rest of them. I couldn't yeah. find anybody from, from Denmark, from Bel- uh, any other players from Belgium, Italy, Spain. I didn't find anybody that I wanted to sign. And then when you look through the England team, I'll take Grealish. I'll take Stones as a partner for Maguire. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take Calvin Phillips is better than McTominay. Um, obviously, um, we've signed Sancho. There's play- uh, we take Kane. There's loads of players there. And when I was making the combined 11s in my article, I was putting in eight. England players and three Italy players and eight England players and three Spain players and nine England players and two Denmark players. It was pretty overwhelming that we that we had the better players. But I'm still worried about the game. I'm worried if I'm sitting there on Sunday and he sets up with 3-4-3, three, three, which we know is a back five. I, I don't think that we need to do that, but I can see that happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm, were, you, were you not... Um about France I mean they they, they were well France weren't in the the last eight when I wrote the article so by the time yeah obviously that would I I would I would favour France in a lot of areas but once they were out of the tournament and I looked at the last eight teams yeah I I would like Tielemans' class De Bruyne's class um, you know Lukaku's got a lot better since he left United but there is no one I wanted to buy from the other players no there's like you say, there's no well beaters out there anymore. You know, the, the, you've gone of the yesteryear when you, you looked at teams and you you were frightened. And you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But now, just play with confidence. They, they haven't got any better players than us. Um, you know, we've got more pace going forward. Um, we've got two similar midfield hold, holding players. Obviously, they're, they're slightly better on the ball in terms of creativity. But I just think Mount needs to get on a little bit more. Um, and if it's not working in the first half, if you get Grealish on... Um, He's good at getting the ball in close and going going by players, which 
we don't really have. You know, when Sterling gets it and there's someone on top of him, he's, he's been reluctant. He's never played Grealish in the at the top of the at the top of the midfield. He did it. He did it for no. one game, but he hasn't. Yeah. He, he he doesn't like him there. He wants it, he wants him out wide where. I don't think I think Grealish is more dangerous if he's if he's in behind Kane, but he yeah, he, he, he he very much is, he he wants two holding midfield players and he wants a he wants a utility centre midfielder instead of a instead of a attacking midfielder in any kind of free role. I don't think Mount plays with that that much freedom. I don't know if he's created much at, at Chelsea. In fact, Chelsea's issue even no. even when. Um, Tuchel came in. It was it was a lack of goals. He, he he won the Champions League by sorting out the defence. It wasn't necessarily that he got Mount and Havertz and Werner all clicking. Tuchel didn't well, do that. The only, that's the only thing. I mean, we've been we've been brilliant at the back, haven't we? I mean, the only goal we conceded is a free kick. And when I looked at it, I don't think it was actually a free kick that that we gave away. The, the ref, I wasn't sure it was a free kick. And that's other than that, we looked pretty solid, haven't we? So. As you say, it's a similar kind of setup to Chelsea. They want they want in Champions League and have a good base at the back four, but, and nicking the old goal here and there. You know, um, we've we've had four guys on, and actually Pickford's escaped um, everyone's yes. an, an analysis. Yeah. But I'm concerned, like about the the real Pickford turning up to the tournament because that that free kick's oh, he gone. Shaky in the semi final, didn't he? His distribution was a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They, I mean, the cameras weren't even watching. There was one point where they were showing a replay of something else, and they were back on the attack. And then when they caught the replay of it, Pickford had just straight out chucked the ball out to one of their players. Um, yeah, I mean, I the, the free kicks. That, yeah. I think not, I, ITV weren't even expecting it, were they? No, and uh, <laughs> well, if some of his movements. If the director was uh, an Everton fan, he probably would have just stayed on it because anything can happen with him. But yeah, the free kicks down the centre of the goal, I'm, I'm just not too sure. I don't want to lose a game on Sunday because Pickford's done something stupid. And also, I don't want to go down a penalty shootout because if Harry Kane's, if, if Harry Kane's bottling penalties in, in extra time because he's so nervous, because that's the worst penalty kick I've seen him take. Uh, every, yeah. Everything for Spurs, as someone mentioned, is in the inside of the net right or, or banging it right if it's down the middle it's hard solid down the middle this this penalty kick look nervous and if Kane's affected by it I don't want to be playing these in a shootout at all no I mean that's the other thing is I mean who, who are they playing left back are they playing Emerson he, he's hardly had any games on this season yeah know? but Emerson yeah you've you got to get at him you've got to get at him just let the, let the wingers change change round from left to right just just pull them apart the, the, the um and the De, De Lorenzo, I don't think, is a, a brilliant fullback either. So no, a guy, a guy, a, a guy uh, who came along before you, Jeff, actually said that he would have money on both of them to get booked at any time, and they were both yeah, over. They were both around about bet. four to one just to pick up a booking. That's a good bet. I like that. I might, I might jump on bet three six five now. Pretty lively. <laughs> what have you? Uh, what have you got for a bet to, um, that I, you would I, look? I was just going to do oh, it's, it's seven to two England uh, half time full time. I think I think we've got to come out sharp. We can't. We've we've got to be at it early doors, and I think we need to, we need to get. I think if we get one, I think we might get two or three. To be honest with you, but that's just my only opinion. But one off game, anything can happen. But we've certainly got you know the ability, the momentum. Um, Italy haven't lost for so long. There, you know, you can't keep winning and winning and winning. And they they look like you know you know obviously Spain and Spain, but they they pulled them apart. And if they had a goal scorer, they they would have nicked about three or four goals. You know. When you see when you see Grealish coming off a trip in extra time and then you you want to go for a half time full time, are you concerned that sixty sixty five minutes we we're pulling on I, another I, defender? I hate it when they do that, you know, you know, just sitting back and just inviting pressure for, for thirty, you know, for, from from a, from a knackered Denmark team, which which I didn't yeah. think was necessary. No, no, that, that's, that is my worry. If we if we if we are just one goal one goal ahead, we just sit deep and just invite pressure on and. 
you know <laughs> it's uh it's worrying times we just got to keep pressing i think just keep pressing and go for the go for the second goal you know we, we, we've got to the final everyone's happy let's just go and enjoy it and if we win we win you know um and just play with a bit of freedom but uh i mean we've certainly got more coming off the bench as well i mean we look we look we actually looked quite fit the other night didn't we we looked pretty fit and italy were absolutely knackered the other night um I mean, we got Foden coming off the bench, Grealish, Tribu's good, good at set pieces. Who have they got to come off the bench? Yeah, Sancho, Rashford. Rashford's not even had a kick this tournament. So. Yeah, Rashford. They've got Belotti. He's absolutely useless. Plays for Torino. Um, who else is there that's going to create any, any chances for them? Or, or, you know, who's a match winner? Um, who's the other geezer in midfield? Locatelli. He's all right. Yeah, Ar- Arsenal. Arsenal looking at him, yeah. Yeah, he's quite he's quite good in midfield. He does his job, doesn't he? But who else they got that's going to come on and, and, and make any make any difference? Kiyay is good. I always said that when I saw on that Juventus. I don't know why they didn't start him. They started with Berardi, but since since he's he started him, he's made a difference, hasn't he? So I think if we can, you know, stop those two midfield players playing um, with high intensity, high press, and um, obviously. Yeah, look, you know, obviously protect uh, the full-backs as well. Obviously, we're going to have to just put... It's one game. You've got to put all your energy into it. Everything you got, every ounce of energy, most important game you'll play, you know? Yeah, and that was and that was where I was surprised. Um, and, and I don't rate Roberto Martinez, and I don't understand how he's constantly linked to jobs, but he was tactically totally wrong the way he set up for, with that Belgian team because that Belgian team had enough even without uh, Hazard and, and, and players missing. I understand that they, they came in with injuries but they had enough to, to beat that Italy team. They sat back, yeah, they, 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 they paid them yeah. way too much respect and they allowed themselves yeah, to, go, to go too down. I don't think this team warrants that kind of respect. The record, everyone's right. talking about the record, the record is so padded. They, until they beat Belgium who are, who are uh, the number one ranked team, I don't agree with that either but until they beat them they didn't have a top 10 win on that on that record so it was it was a padded record um from the fact that they didn't qualify for the world cup last time so they were in they were in the second tier of nations league which they were able to easily get through so they had easy nations league games while we were playing the likes of uh, portugal and holland and um and, and others so it, it wasn't that it didn't mean that much to me the the 11 clean sheets in a row meant a little bit more because that's you know that's that's seriously difficult to do to to keep those eleven clean sheets. That was convincing, but the, the record was very padded. I mean, they they were poor against Austria as well, weren't they? I watched that game. I was down down in Nuki watching it on holiday, and I watched I watched the game. And they they were very poor. In that they, game. They're, they're six they're six inches for not even being in this final because that that yeah, v, that VAR decision right. went for them, and that they and I don't think they were getting back into that game. They looked so poor. They just didn't. They yeah. didn't look like they could break that team down. But I, like I said. If that actually turns up, then we should we should, we should smash him. Well, that that game was at Wembley, so maybe they have an issue with. I'm trying to clutch at straws, but maybe they have an issue with the <laughs> with the ground. They're the only they're at their worst performance was at Wembley, so that that might yeah. be something. Um, any social media or anything you want to give out, or just happy to come on and have a chat? No, happy just to catch up and put my opinion across and. Uh, Come on, England. Let's have it. Let's do the let's do the business and uh, have a good summer. Bring bring some uh, happiness to, to everyone. Be, we'll be, be be buzzing the next few months before the uh, before the wet wet, wet, weather, uh, wet, wet weather comes in. So. Yeah, before the Premier League starts, which I think is going to be real interesting between four teams for sure. I think Tottenham and Arsenal have dropped out now. I think the big there's a real big four with Chelsea, United, Man City, and Liverpool next season. Yeah. No, definitely, yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see uh, Watford and uh, 
who else has come up from the from the championship this season? Norwich and see how those boys get on. They've made a few quite good signs, and they Billy Gilmore. Um, that's, that's a good little good little trip on loan move for, for Norwich. Um, did some good good business there, didn't they? Got rid of uh, Bundwaya for thirty three five million, whatever it was. Hell, hell, hell of a transfer, and then chucked in Billy Gilmore. Billy Gilmore probably offers you more. So, but no, no, should be good. looking forward to the to the new Premier League season. And obviously, uh, obviously the bees as well. See how see if uh, Ivan Tony's Premier League quality. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, we'll get you back on the when we're doing when we're previewing the Premier League uh, when we're doing a future show, which is where we look at um, the over how the season will play out overall. We do a weekly show on the Premier League, but like um, oh, we'll, nice. we'll look at the uh, we'll look at the futures, especially the uh, the relegation side of things, and when we talk about Chelsea as well. Um, thanks for coming on, mate. Cheers for that. that that's all right, Bill. Cheers, buddy. No worries, mate. Well, there you go. We've had plenty of opinions there for the Euro 2020 final. Um, I like Terry's confidence. I'm not as confident about it. I, I still do think that it will end up being a cagey game. I do think we'll end up paying Italy a lot more respect. I don't necessarily think that we will press them high up the pitch and try and, and, and suffocate them in their own half. I do think that we will allow Italy to have a little bit more possession than they're entitled to. But I am still confident that we will end up seeing it through. Don't really like England on a penalty shootout. I do want us to kind of score the the goal late into the second half, possibly at the beginning of extra time like we did in the Denmark game. But either way, it's going to be cagey. England-Italy games, historically, are never, ever decided by more than one goal. And I don't think this one's going to be any different. Um, so I'm going to stick with the under. I like the under two and a half goals here. I like the under two and a half goals in the Copa America. And that doesn't necessarily make it sound like they're going to be exciting finals. But the games between England and Denmark and the games against Spain and Italy, both the semi-finals in this competition were very, very exciting. In games and so was the uh, the Copa America semi-final between Argentina and Colombia so you don't necessarily need a plethora of goals to to have a really really good game and also especially if you're betting on unders you don't really want to see too many goals and you don't even really want to see an interesting game either but that concludes your Euro 2020 and Copa America final preview here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network good luck with all your bets as always and thanks for listening